Hey y'all, how are you? Well, uh, glad to do this. And of course, I took a couple of days just to kind of sit back and see how things are and uh, analyze the football panorama, if you will. And um, it's been quite an interesting couple of days seeing the final, seeing where Messi is, seeing where Neymar is, seeing where Chich is, seeing where Lionel Scaloni is. It's, it's funny, and the first one that you start looking at is Lionel Scaloni, who a couple of years ago, when he was hired, they're like, huh? What? Why? <laughs> it, 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 it was pretty much that. Mind you, when you go from... Mauricio Pochettino to Diego Simeone to uh, Marcelo Gallardo. I'm thinking of a play, some of the coaches that were mentioned by the Argentine press and, and by many in, in other media outlets. And Lionel Scaloni ends up being the coach of Argentina. Many just flabbergasted. It, it, well, flabbergasted when it ended up becoming the reality that Scaloni was going to be the, the coach not in not in just an interim condition it was going to be on a permanent condition people were oh my god who even Diego even Maradona at one point he was coaching over at Dorado still they asked him about Scaloni being the national team coach of Argentina and he goes oh come on look with all due respect this guy can't even direct traffic that shows you the consensus that there was towards Scaloni. And, and it didn't help a lot that Scaloni not only was coaching the national team, was many considered him coaching the national team via remote. And what I mean by that is that he wasn't in Argentina. He wasn't going daily into the AFA complex in Ezeiza and working from there or within the vicinity or, or in Argentina, let's say. He goes back home to his home in Mallorca. And whenever it comes close, he starts doing his rounds, talking to players, doing his thing, and of course comes back to Argentina and makes sure that everything's okay. Now, what people didn't mention was that it was slowly but surely building, or he was slowly but surely building, a very interesting side. I'm not talking about results right now. I'm not, I'm not talking about results. I'm not talking about style of play. I'm talking about the human side. I'm talking about players that, of course, were out of the mix. You have no more Higuain, you have no more Mascherano, you have no more of the, or you know, if, if you look at it now, out of the players that have taken part in the 2014 World Cup, I think something like eight or nine already retired. So keep that. I mean, I'm not talking about retired from the national. I'm talking about retired as in no longer active in football. A couple of them are actually coaches, Fernando Gago being one of them. Uh, there's a couple others that are getting their badges or, or an assistant coach or, or on the way to coaching. But the only one that I can mention off the top of my head that is actually a coach is Fernando Gago. Mascherano is the director of, of youth development with the Argentine uh, Federation. Uh, you know, you have many others, Basanta and, and amongst others. Again, like I said, it, memory escaped me. I, I don't usually sit down with notes and and talk about uh, things off the... You know, I, I try and give you as much information I can off the top of my head. And, you know, whatever I know, I know. And whatever I don't know, I try and 
say either I don't know or I, you know, avoid it. But anyway, I digress. When you starting to see this group, it's like, okay, fine. There's some young, interesting players to look at. There's some players that haven't been in the loop. There's players that haven't been called up or even forget called up, just being in the same stratosphere of a call-up, not even within the same galaxy of a potential call-up. Forget remote. <laughs> that, that was, and so you started to see some players begin to emerge and, and an eventual move to Europe or an eventual move to a big club in Argentina ends up making some of these players interesting concepts. I mean, the, the one you have to look at first and foremost is Emiliano Martinez, player that comes out of Independiente, goes to Arsenal, and at one point wasn't even the backup. He was a third goalkeeper. And it happened to be a great performance in with Arsenal that ends up pretty much propelling him into a good move, a promising move, and makes him one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League with Aston Villa. And he's been able to perform at a consistent level. So much so that I remember one time when he was being interviewed while at Arsenal, some of the journalists did not even know he was in, in England. So so it, 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 it's interesting to see that. It's interesting to see that dynamic. And of course, you don't if, if some journalists don't know that they're in England they're in a country like England or Italy or Spain or what have you, then their chances to get called up are are, are very small or very very minimal. But through all that, he's been able to emerge and become essentially a household name, essentially a, a, a player that is going to be forever locked in the lore. He, he'll, he's, I mean, his page in Argentine football history, maybe it's, con of course, it'll be continued. He'll continue writing it, but at least this chapter in this portion is already without a doubt, in permanent marker. I mean, it can't be erased in any way, shape, or form. Of course, I'm saying something very obvious, but to see where he was and to see where he is, boy, th those are some galaxies apart that you have to start looking at. And of course, everyone knows what happened with Leo Messi. I don't need to mention it, but it's a different Leo Messi. It, it's, a, it's a Messi where we see him actually step in and say no. Or yes. And, and he doesn't have to be this... He doesn't have to be alpha male about it. He just... Hey, you know what? I can be the leader if I want to. I can be this if I want to. Or I if I need to. There's different types of leadership. It's just that people... Now, I'm, I'm going to shift over. In South America, believe... And of course, one who is on the outside has to understand this... Our leaders, our political leaders in South America are effusive. They always speak loud. It's always this, the, you know, that person who speaks loud is the one that leads. Or the speaks the loudest is the one that leads. Now, is it right? No, I don't think so. But that is the way things are at least perceived. The one that speaks the loudest, the one that has the biggest stick. You know, the one that's able to to say it and be the hardest that that's that's what the leader is because we're accustomed to, to those to those caudillos to those those leaders that come through and and say yeah that's what that's what i'm about you know el mas macho you know that type of thing 
Those, those are the those are the types of leaders that we've been accustomed to in Latin culture to gravitate towards or believe that those are the ones that work. And, and to be quite honest with you, it hasn't. If not, our, our countries collectively would be much better. Of course, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but you kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Now, when you have a more thoughtful individual, a person that's thinking more and, and a bit more paused when they speak, that's seen as a sign of weakness or it has been perceived as such. And to a certain extent, when you start to have a leader that's a little different and doesn't speak and, and maybe has a little bit more freedom than he did before, and I'm talking about, of course, Messi, you start to see things in a different light. The media always, in Argentina especially, criticized him for being meek. And I'm not sure if it was meek. It's more that he was a, a player that didn't want to speak or didn't have to speak or let his actions speak louder than his words. Because at the end of the day, those actions end up being cheap if they're not backed up with actual results or actual tangible information that can be used. That's plain and simple. I mean, we have to look at it from that perspective because that is where we start confusing things with leadership or just being, or is it just being a bully or is it just being loud or is it just having no substance at all other than your word, other than your verbiage? That's exactly where we start to see things end up a little bit different. I mean, if you if you are looking for a leader to speak loud and, and yell at people all the time and go and insult and curse, then Leo Messi's not the leader for you. Now, this is not me hailing him. It's just pointing out that he's different now compared to when he was two, three, four, five, ten years ago. You can't expect him to be Maradona. Maradona's only one. And just like five, ten years from now, when another great player emerges, we can't expect them to be messy. Because there's only one. And we can't expect there to be Cristiano Ronaldo because there's only one. And each and every one of those players has been great because of what they've been able to do. Because of, you know, Ronaldo is because, hey, I need to be like this because if not this. Uh, who, who was it that, oh my God, I, I, I was... I was, um, there was one interview that was very interesting. I forgot just now that, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was who, who said that he would never think about rest. He would never think about rest when he was playing because that was a sign of weakness. And he convinced himself to say, it. if I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of blurt it out and you'll, you'll, during this podcast and and you're, if it doesn't make sense, you'll understand why. <laughs> but but I just remembered it just off the top of my head right now, and it it, it was interesting to to mention that because he it was interesting that he mentioned, look, I I never thought about resting. Oh, LeBron James, LeBron James, yes, 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 LeBron James, LeBron James, in an interview said, I never thought about resting during the season because to me is a sign of weakness. And we know what type of career he's had. So there's certain things that, that players latch on to, athletes at the highest levels latch on to, to be successful. You know, Messi, okay, fine, I won this, what's next? 
Same thing with Ronaldo. Same, you know, same thing with those types of players, those, those high-end athletes, those extremely competitive animals. Those are the ones that end up having that type of mentality. And whatever they do to get to that point, only they can convey that. Only they can generate that. So when we try and compare one player of that ilk to another, it's completely different. And that's exactly where, where he lies now because he's evolved and grown as a person and become his own person. And at times it's, well, I have to win it for my country. I have to win it for this. No, 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 no. I have to win it for me. To a certain extent, he do, he's done that. He's finally been able to say, I have to win it for me. I know it sounds selfish, but but at times you have to do that in order to not feel that weight. Because when and we, and we all feel that when we do something for someone, there's an extra pressure, maybe an extra unnecessary pressure. And he's been able to take that weight off of him, off of himself, I should say. He's looked more enjoy. He looks like he's enjoyed more this ride. This final, of course, winning it helps a lot too. But let's go back in World Cup qualifying play when things aren't going so well. You still saw him smiling and, and, and you saw him enjoying the process a bit more than in previous World Cup cycles. Could be a lot of things attributed to that. I mean, I'm not inside that dressing room, so I can't go and attest to any specific thing that has been done by that group. But you see that there is a different chemistry, that there's a much looser camaraderie. I'm not saying that they weren't friends, that you didn't have a good camaraderie before that, but there was just a different dynamic to it with different players and different mentalities and, and, and different attitudes towards the game compared to this group of Argentine players. And you noticed it on the pitch. At times, yeah, they were willing to fight for one another. There was always one criticism that I had with Argentina in, in the previous World Cup cycles, it's give the ball to Leo, see what happens. Right? I, I said that a lot. I, I I know I did. I don't know about you, but I know there was a lot of in instances where I saw players, here, take it, do something with it. I don't know what to do. You're messy. You're the one that needs to solve that problem, not me. And I'm talking about high-end players. I'm talking about players that were world-class doing that when that Argentine side ended up going to three consecutive finals. Here, give it to Leo. See what he can do. This team, at least we saw other players say, you know what? Let me see what I can do. Let me try something different. Hey, let me run. Okay, fine. The run would not go in the right direction or, or maybe the pass wouldn't end up the way, that, but at least you saw them trying to, hey, where can I go? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? You didn't see him having to carry the load so much and, Yet, he carried the load a lot. He was one of the co-leading goal scorers. He was the, the leader in assists. He, he did a lot for this team. And I always wonder, what if the pitches in Brazil would have been better? How would this, this Copa America... I'm not talking about Argentina. I'm talking about in general. How, how much better would have this tournament been? Now, I, I put it in the inverse. What if the European players had to play on these Brazilian pitches? I know that's, a, that's an unfair assessment i know that but what if they did instead of having to play on these billiard table type of, of pitches instead of instead of you know what was played in brazil 
just a thought. But anyway, Argentina, that's how that's how it happened. It didn't happen because of Messi. Messi was part of it. But there was a lot of other players that stepped up. Angel Di Maria was able to finally get that weight off his shoulders with a goal very similar to the one that helped him helped him or helped Argentina win that last gold medal that they won back in Beijing. Rodrigo de Paul was phenomenal. You started seeing players emerging. Cuti Romero. You see Noel Molina, who, who, of course, if he weren't injured, maybe he would have been probably the best right back in the tournament. Of course, Emiliano Martinez, as I mentioned him before. Left back, well, there's still a lot of question marks there. Leandro Perez became a warrior. So, so there's a lot of things that came through. And of course, Cunaguero being able to do his thing, his role, minimal on the pitch, but from what many said, very critical off of it. You end up interpreting it however you want. <laughs> that part I'm not going to go into. But it ends up being... I was asked on Sportsmax whether they were the just winners. And if you base it on what Chichi said, I would say yes. Because it wasn't just based on, on style of play, but it was just based on which team was one of the which one of those teams at Maracana was the team that imposed their conditions. It was Argentina. Chichi even said, look, they played anti-football. They 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 ended up making the game choppy. We never got into rhythm. We never were able to do much. They were fouling all the time. Oh, what do you do as a coach? You have to, you have to adjust. Now, the end of the match ended up being a bit dramatic. Divo Martinez had to make a couple of interesting saves. So, Brazil did their thing. Now, you can't go and criticize Brazil now as, oh, you know, they're the worst team ever. They hadn't lost in three years. They had been dominating, and they still have dominated, and they basically have one foot and a half in World Cup qualifying. They're, they're almost punching their ticket. They could actually, if you think about it, right now Brazil have 18 points. September, there's three matches. They could qualify for the World Cup in September. Okay? Usually in Commonwealth, 26 points on up guarantees you a World Cup spot. 25, 26 will probably put you in a World Cup playoff. But Brazil could get three straight wins. That's 27 points. And based on how they're doing in that tournament, they should be able to assure themselves of a spot in World Cup qualifying or in, in the World Cup. But Brazil had had, you know, it was a, a team that, let's be honest, they're a team that, that never got into third gear. Brazil never got into third gear. They never needed to get into third gear because it was a team that that ended up having a great deal of complications defensively. But they knew how to handle those defensive complications and they were able to adjust defensively. And they had a brilliant Neymar who was able to get them out of some binds here and there. When the game got tough, he was able to take the ball and be able to get Brazil out of trouble. Right? This was one of his best performances in, in World Cup quali- in, in World Cup qualifying in Copa America to me. 
unfortunate for him that he wasn't able to win it. But I don't think he's to blame. I think there was some defensive breakdowns, Renan Rolodi being, being one of them, who got beat on that long pass by Rodrigo de Paul. But to be quite honest, Neymar's not to blame. Neymar got the shit beat out of him in a couple of, actually throughout the entire Copa, as did Messi, but Neymar just as much, maybe even more so. I don't, I don't have the numbers, like I said, in front of me. But if Neymar wasn't the player that was fouled the most in this tournament, he was surely second. And no worse than that. Now, Brazil have to make a, a major decision here. Of course, many were talking about the possibility. Of course, Chicha being sacked was more of a political decision because of how he's uh, how he's been loyal to or, or, or his allegiances to to Lula da Silva or, or, or those types of, of, of political figures in Brazil compared to Jair Bolsonaro. And of course, that had a lot to do with it. And that had a lot to do why the tournament was played in Brazil because it was going to be a political instrument used by Jair Bolsonaro to be able to, to say, hey, things aren't bad. Look here. Look how things are going in Brazil. Everything's great. We won the Copa America. But yet, COVID's still running ragged all over there. Of course, like I said, that's another conversation for another time. But for the most part, and of course, I talked about it in another episode. You can check it out as well. So when, when you start looking at all these things adding up together, Copa America, it just shows you that you have interesting prospects. You have interesting teams. You have teams that were built. And of course, I mentioned Peru in, in a previous episode. You can talk, you can listen to that as well about teams that are built to compete in these types of tournaments. And Argentina was that. Now, the big question for Lionel Scaloni now is he's going to be riding this crest into World Cup qualifying play in the month of in the month of September. How will he be able to handle this team? How will it have to evolve because this team cannot continue playing the way they did, getting that one 0 lead and then dropping back and waiting? We saw that with England, and of course with England we can talk about even more so because if you look at it man for man, you could probably say England has a better squad than than Argentina. I At least I think so. And to do what they did in that match against Italy is, is quite a shame. And that's been my criticism of Gareth Southgate. But let me just hop back to this side of the pond. Argentina can't do that. They can't afford to. They cannot afford to. They have to go 1-0. Okay, fine. Let's try and find a way to get make it 2-0. Now, it'll come to a certain point. Yeah, we'll have to defend, but let's defend or let them defend when it's 2-0 or when it's 2-1 in the 89th minute. Okay, fine. Then we, you know, I'm talking about Scaloni. Okay, now we have to do this. Now we have to do that. Because you have teams that have been able to break that case in point. Colombia, who was able to do it. And we saw that when, when Colombia were down 2-0, Argentina dropped back. Boop. Last 10 minutes, they're able to equalize and get a point. So there'll be a lot of things to be looking at in, in the next few months. And of course, a lot more that I'm going to be talking to, or people that I'm going to be talking to, people that I'll be discussing things with, and lots of topics, of course, as Copa Libertadores starts in just less than 24 hours. And 
I'm really excited about that. Of course, I'll be on commentary worldwide for Cerro Porteño and uh, Fluminense. Then uh, the following day, it'll be Argentinos and River. And I get UF, or what could be UFC 265 in Nacional and uh, Peñarol. So I'll be looking forward to talking to each and every one of you. And I got a special one coming up in just a few hours as I had a question that I had to answer. But I needed to take a long look and think how I'm going to present it as it'll be an interesting story. All right. So again, make sure you're following here. Make sure you're following everywhere on social media. It's a pleasure to have done this. And of course, it was a pleasure to be able to break down Copa America with you. Now it'll be time for Copa Libertadores and Argentine League and many other things that'll be going on. La Liga, everything. I got it for you here, man. I got you covered. Peace. Thank you.